Rolling to Seize the GM. I'm your host, Zendad. I am your co-host, Jules. And I'm Garda Moje. Have you ever had a great idea for a campaign? Do you have a group of friends who want to play an RPG, but you have no one to run it? Do you want to see what the world is like behind the GM screen instead of in front of it? Well, we're here to help you do just that. Each week, the three of us will be discussing various GMing topics, terminology, maps, atmosphere, world building, you name it. So sit back and relax. Let us help you. Improve your art of GMing. One show at a time. Banter, banter, banter. And we are entering the banter segment. Hey, hey, welcome back, guys. Hello, can you hear me? I can hear you. Here's the better question. Am I being recorded? Yes, you should be. Because I was okay, using the old system. If you're hearing this, we've been experimenting with new technical systems to improve your Seize the GM experience. This has not been without flaws, hiccups, and restarts. Yeah, like so, this is this is start three. <laughs> but hopefully everyone can hear us and it's all going well. It's good to hear from you, Zen. I, I've been on and off for a while, so. Yeah, it's it's been crazy. We've all been busy and we've changed some things up and we're getting ready to do some more changes. So the the show is getting ready to undergo kind of a facelift and uh, going to change some of the branding stuff up a little bit. And so it's, it's going to be interesting. This year is, <laughs> is definitely the year of the 2020 vision looking back. <laughs> it's going to be fun. It's going to be something. A lot of work is what it's going to be for me. Yeah, that's all right. All of our fans and other listeners will absolutely appreciate it. Won't you, fans? If you're going to appreciate all the work Zen's going to put in, you're going to guess what I'm going to say next, which is find us on social media, be it Facebook, Facebook pages, Twitter, Instagram, Discord. Do we have a Tinder account? No, or is it just Tumblr? We don't have Tinder. I'm not doing is it Tinder. T- is we it Tumblr? Have, we do have a Tumblr. Okay, that's we what I was confusing have... Tinder with. <laughs> that's a, well, they're, they were similar for a while there, but... Uh, the uh, And we have a Patreon. Because if you would like to throw us a few dollars a month, we would be absolutely thrilled to help offset the cost of the show, and because it will make Zen's life a little bit easier and a little bit harder at the same time. Oh, but it will be so much prettier because I found somebody that um, to do some artwork for the players' characters for the fate game that I'm getting ready to start running. And I just have to come up with the funds to purchase said uh, initial uh, artwork. Artists deserve to be paid. We want to compensate them. Help oh. us compensate the artists. Yeah. And 
we're also actually going to do a episode where I sit down with all of them, not in game and just talk about running the types of games that we're doing and what people are interested in and get to know some of the players behind the characters that you guys get to see in the APs. That sounds awesome. So, yeah, I'm going to sit down with all of those all of them probably as a one-on-one, but I also want to do a everybody together. So, and we're also trying to work on getting the Twitch stream set up. (laughs) I'm not good at twitching, so I may not be over there, but uh, I hope that all of you Twitch heads love it. I hope they love it too. Um, it'll, It'll probably be sometime in... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw a tentative date of sometime in July. You say that with a question mark at the end of your sentence. So yeah. sometime later this year, preferably <laughs> in the summer, you're going to see the Twitch stream for Seize the GM take off. And you will get to see and hear from your wonderful hosts like Zen, like Jules, maybe even like Null Operations. All show up on your Twitch stream live and twitchy and and all of that good jazz. But well, we're also in the meantime about doing the AP like that. You know, if I was so. a Twitch person, you'd see me shaking my head right now. But since I'm not, no. and the Twitch stream isn't yet set up, take my word for it that I'm just shaking my head. I do, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. You know, so with all of that, you know, I was like, I need to to go to the eye doctor because I haven't been in like uh, seven years, um, a few years, more than a handful, uh, less than two. And so I decided it's time uh, because I drive for a living. So I'm like, I really need to do this. And I decided, OK, I'm going to do it. And then I found out that I have to um, have a bifocal now because I'm almost a number that is more than what it was yesterday. (laughs) And I'm not going to say any more than that. Look, even I don't have bifocals yet. Yeah, I know. I've been wearing glasses since third grade. I'm actually surprised it didn't happen sooner. Well, you know, I think that just sometimes is part of the story of our life. It is. And and speaking of stories of our lives, we have, as a main topic, a very interesting idea. And that is long-form storytelling and campaign design. And for all of you listeners... Find us on social media and guess how many of the three times that segue actually worked. So you get one of them for free because you just heard it. Now, the interesting thing about long-form storytelling and trying to work it with campaign design is that the two can be seen as potentially opposing if you're not careful. Uh, long-form storytelling is you know, writing novels, telling longer-form stories. Campaign design – now – A lot of people see it as just how do you create obstacles for players to be resolved. And if that's what you come at campaign design from, 
you can see how it could get problematic if you're trying to tell a longer form story but are doing it through creation of obstacles that are intended to be overcome. Right, because that is in in most most traditional, we'll say, role-playing games that are not some of the newer story-driven ones, that was how it was done. And those long those campaigns while they are stories and they are very long form. I mean, there are some campaigns that have gone for 20, 25 years, some even longer. And those are definitely stories. But what we're talking about is much closer to the, the newer, more narrative story driven games and that long form storytelling that they're doing as opposed to traditional I disagree. campaign design. I disagree 110% because old school campaign design is not any different from campaign design under a current narrative system. That's the truth. You can design long-form storytelling campaigns in all of these. Modern narrative games just make it a different set of obstacles for the GM to overcome. True. That is the less true. A- but they they built as part of their 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 design is around storytelling. But not, not long about. form storytelling. Their design is around reducing GM agency to increase player agency. Their design is to give individual players narrative arcs, but not necessarily an overarching long-form theme. That's the weakness to overcome in some of the newer form narrative-based games, is their narratives don't lend themselves. Blades in the Dark. Blades in the Dark is a great example. It's a great one-off game. You cannot build long-term character arcs because it is intended not to have the same characters showing up every single session. That's true. But you could still do a game like that. You could, and that's what we're going to talk to is how to get there. So pardon my digression, (laughs) listeners. That's one of those things that gets to me. Newer narrative-style games aren't necessarily built for long-form storytelling. Not all of them, but they can be. But they can be. Whereas how how do you like, do it? Okay, so like in um like we'll say in Dresden Files, the role-playing game, okay? That actually has built into it long-form storytelling. So there are the individual like what would what would constitute like a novel okay with the characters and then when that novel is over where does the next novel pick up with those same characters it has built into it while where as a as a story built built game it has that long form of storytelling already built into it. It's designed to be played with the same characters for a really long time. But if the that's second how you half, play it. The second half is where you get to long form storytelling. 
the same characters, but also an overarching theme. Yeah. To be a long-form story, you've got to have a through line because you can have the same characters over and over and over again, but not be a long-form storytelling situation. Right, right because that's episodic. Exactly. That's Look episodic storytelling. The Simpsons is not long-form storytelling. No. The characters have not changed. They've been there for a long time. Correct. But it's not long-form storytelling. And so – the first question you know that i look at is if i'm the gm what's the theme that i want to kind of undergird that long form storytelling how do i want to get there and those beats is it about how power corrupts is it about overcoming or resolving past trauma is it a theme of the unknown and then i have to start looking at how I get that into the game, which leads to my next decision point. Do I have the players buy-in uh, when so I'm designing important. that theme? That is – see, what, well, it, how I come to this – so I may look at those themes. Like I want to I have certain themes present. And then I say to the players – this is the type of thing these are the types of themes that I want to incorporate in this th- thing that we're doing. Are you in on it? Because you have to get their buy-in. To do this well, you really do have to have that player buy-in where they can still take agency of certain elements that you have in that story that you're trying to to help build with the players because that's what it is. I mean, it's, it's cooperative and in all aspects, because if you override everything, then you're writing a story that the player, that the, the players sitting there are just kind of along for a ride. They don't have any true agency in it. Right. And that's why you can't, you know, stick them on a railroaded, ticketed story. One thing I like to do if I'm not working through the players, if they aren't bought in to use their background to kind of have that be part of that long-form story, is I build it into the, the descriptions of the world and of the NPCs. You know, we have whole episodes about how to design memorable NPCs. One of the things, after you go back and listen to that, to think about is if your long-form story is about slow corruption, you start building repetition in. When you describe a place, you describe it with kind of a hint of falling down. And maybe they go back and you start ramping up how you describe that. And you build a repetition into how they – characters see the world until the players have the characters directly interact with that and see that it also is a chance for you as a a game master to work on your narrative abilities to build those themes without overriding uh, that yeah character choice yeah and that that's a tricky part to do but it's also how you get the best stories it is. It is. Actually, um, so my wife and a friend of ours have asked me to run a, a 5e D&D game. 
And I was like, well, I can. Because, you know, I'm not already doing enough things. I have to add another game to it. <laughs> I, I told my wife, I said, that's fine. But I would like for you to write, like, whenever we play, I want you to write up summaries. You know, of everything that we did. And she's like, well, what do you mean? I'm like, because I want to do, I want, I want to post them as blog posts. So people can see, like, I'm going to write, like, you know, this is what I came with. This is what I had for my idea. And the players came with this thing. And this is the types of people that they're playing. And then, you know, these are their backstories and everything else. And this is how I'm going to incorporate as much of it as I can to create a, a deep, rich story for three people that are going to be sitting at the table. Well, kind of one of the other really big points to kind of point out, there is absolutely nothing wrong with making the theme obvious. Don't railroad your players, but in games like Shadowrun, where characters are hired to undertake jobs, there is nothing wrong with you actively saying, this is the job. <laughs> exactly. And you can build themes that way. And games like Shadowrun and Cyberpunk, and, and as you know, I have a love of political and, and corporate intrigue for those settings. Yeah. Hi, I'm Mr. Johnson. I'm here to hire you because I don't want someone to buy up all of that stock to take control of my company. Yeah. It seems that I am in the middle of a hostile takeover. Congratulations. We now have the setting of long-form storytelling. Guess what you're about to get stuck in the middle of. Exactly. And, and it can be great. It's, it's all in how, how you want to approach it. Because you can do just the traditional, you know, here's, you know, create a few obstacles, have, you know, the dungeon that they go into, and, you know... If, if that's what you want to play. Because there's nothing wrong with that. But if you want to do something that's more overarching and robust and it feels like it's truly alive, the world that they're in is truly alive, this is one of the tools of how you do that. Because it's not it, the only one. There's tons of tools that you will use to make this world that they're in really feel alive. And sometimes that can be um, daunting at times. But that's okay. Because this form of, of game mastering is... While it's very interesting, it's not like others that you, could, that you would do. And I think that's one of the things that people don't, you know, they say, well, it can only be this or this. You can still have those in this long form that you're doing. You can still have that, you know, like random episode that's just thrown in. Well, and good TV shows are something that you'll see that happen in. Yeah. There are more than enough episodes 
of following the larger story, but every once in a while you need a bottle episode. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, though, if you've ever watched uh, Samurai Champloo, so there's only, I think, f- 12 episodes to the whole series. And it, it might be 12, it's 12 or 24, something like that. Um, but there is one episode, and it's almost at the end. And now it's set up in Edo, Japan, in the Edo period of Japan. And they're traveling to find this one spot. And like two or three episodes from the end, because they had to stretch it, they threw in an episode that is all about playing baseball. And it's, you're like, what is going on? This doesn't make any sense. And it doesn't make sense, but what it does is it gives those characters that are in it a break. So that when they go back into the story, they're kind of revitalized because they've had a little bit of a break. And there's nothing wrong with doing that. Because that can help the players kind of get that recharge as well, which, you know, is a good thing. <laughs> so, that's what I got. I think we've covered a lot of the good points and, and how to integrate some of that long-form storytelling. Player buy-in and using their backstories is a great way to feed it, but if you're setting it up for the players to uncover or discover, building that repetition in will help you create that in the world. And incentivizing your players to make sure that they get the chance to take part in it is something I want to explore in another episode. Yes. When and how do you you shake the foundations of the world with your game. We need to put that one down. I'm, we, we, we're going to do that. This is part of a series of things that I want to talk about anyway with kind of GMing topics that we, we've been kind of dancing around. And yes, that is definitely one that we need to do. But as we always say, we have just kind of scratched the surface of this. And find us on social media. Tell us how you integrate long form storytelling into your games at home and what you think we got wrong, or at least what Zen got wrong and I got right about this. <laughs> okay. Well, with that being said, we're going to go ahead and. And now we enter stat blocks. This is a segment where you can use something that we've created in your game tonight. Not it. Ah, yes. So, stat blocks. Uh, Krylon's remarkable map case. A simple map case can hold the keys to adventure and the future. A map case can also hold a moldy invoice when grain deliveries have gone unpaid. Krylon's map case is a masterpiece of holding both possibilities of the future and past at once. You see, the map case can be opened from either end, and in that single deft choice, you may find a difference between the past and present, riches and rags, 
destiny and fate. Carlin made her name for herself exploring all sorts of uncharted lands, or more aptly, lands that were uncharted today. It was her intrepid work that let the empires of today reclaim the trade routes of the past. The the secret that this charming minotaur never quite shared was that the map case did most of the work. It was really her skills as a linguist and an archaeologist, uh, allowing her to decipher the ever-changing script that kept her safe. You see, the edges of each end of the map case are embossed and protected with a magical strap and cover of leather. And a script on it changes every time the case is closed from being open. It tells you brazenly what lies within each way of opening the case. If you can read the script, though it is at times perhaps more a fanciful description than a truthful location. So how about it? Are you ready to open the case and see where pastoral is when you follow the map? Or how about riches? Are you sure? Fun! I like that. It is a call to adventure and a brazen way to say, here is my theme for the long-term story I'm putting you on. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. See, I built, uh, I built a theme into my stuff for the show today. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, I, there's repetition. I, I, I did not. I sort <laughs> of did. All right, what you got? Terralix. Being born in a world with a sun that's 50 or 85% as bright as the one in the soul system means, we are adapted to darker worlds. When the Solarians first arrived, they thought they had found a planet with no sentient species. They were very, very mistaken. We've been on this world for the better part of 10,000 cycles. We had been a group of political refugees from our home world. Well, we had needed to recode portions of our genetic code, we were able to make this planet work for our needs. The first contact with the Salarians was far from peaceful, like we had hoped. They thought we were an underdeveloped race, just because we had found a way to live in balance with our local habitats. Once we had recoded the few sections that would help us thrive here, we stopped. No need to overdo things like that. The Salarians came in as conquerors, but once we put up a bit of resistance, they figured we needed to be crushed under their boots. The difference is that we had made ourselves to be best suited for this planet. We made them regret trying to come in like that, and we did it by never being where they thought we should be. See, we can lower our core temperature to be invisible to thermal vision, which many apex predators here use. We also had eyes that can pull the most from the least bright sun. Those same eyes also could constrict in an instant to keep us from being blinded. We were like spirits to those who first arrived. After a year of conflict, we had whittled away their numbers, and we still had almost all of ours. We then called them to the peace mat to stop all the aggression. Surprisingly, it seemed to be working. But we will still keep a close eye on them. We don't dare tell them what we're truly capable of. Ooh, that's a fun setup. Yeah. (laughs) I thought it would be interesting to approach it from a, like, Oh yeah, you know, earthlings are coming and they're going to conquer everything like and it's like not really. 
Because if they don't know what's going on, they could still be stomped into the ground. So, but yeah, I just thought that was a, a fun little, little thing to do. So, but I think we're going to go ahead and just keep chugging right along into our next segment. Lexicon, where we give you cool words to help improve your vocabulary. Okay, here we go. So, our word today is, I believe it is uh, thanks to you. Ooh. Bucolic? Ah, yes. See? Idyllic, pastoral. Yes. Bucolic. An adjective. And there are... Of or relating to shepherds or herdsmen. And the second one is relating to or typical of rural life. <laughs> and idyllic. <laughs> now, the first known use of bucolic is about 1609 in the okay. uh, pastoral sense. And the history and etymology is it's Latin from Greek. So there's really no, like it went Greek to Latin to English. And the Latin is uh, bucolis and the Greek is, oh, wow. Bucolius from bucolas, which is uh, cowherd. So, and so it's a kid. Colos uh, is actually akin to the Latin colera, which is to cultivate. Okay, that all yeah. makes sense now. Yeah, yeah. And the rancher. Look, yeah. And the lookup popularity is surprisingly the top thirty percent of words. Usually, we get stuff that's in the bottom, and this is like way up at the top. I was surprised. By that. So. Okay. Well, well that, so that's going to move us to closing remarks. Yeah. And so, what do you have? Okay, so, I, for Christmas, we got my daughter a Switch. And we picked up several games, and one of the games that we picked up was Zelda Breath of the Wild. Now, I've just kind of gotten started playing in this, but it's been really fun, and it's also really, really pretty. So if you like kind of a soft animation style, it kind of fits in that. Uh, the gameplay is a little questy at this point. You know, you know, go here, do this, go here, do this, you know. But once you kind of leave that opening starting location, it then becomes much more about just exploring the world. And it's it's actually been pretty fun. I haven't gotten to play too much yet, but I'm hoping to clog about maybe a hundred hours or so next weekend. <laughs> but we'll see. Nice. So I may have to fight my wife for the Switch. 
because she's playing this as well. I would not recommend fighting her for it. I would recommend I outfoxing her for it. I don't know. Because I, That's also, hard. Got, I also got uh, the uh, Icewind Dale, the first one, and Planescape Torment for the Switch. Well, that's fun. Yeah, so I'm like, oh, which one do I do? It's, I got three really good games, so I'm like, I'm kind of torn. <laughs> so, what do you got? I'm going to recommend that you check out or pick up a copy of Young Justice Sins of Youth. It's a trade paperback collecting a fifth week event from DC Comics when a clarion, dum-dum-dum, the witch boy... Uh, accidentally mixes up the ages of all of the DC superheroes, Young Justice has to learn to be the heroes that they'll eventually be to try to save the day. And it's a great example of using long-form storytelling and also what we talked about about having an off-episode or story in the middle of it that still fits in. And as absolutely hilarious as the Teenage Justice League is or the uh, preteen Justice Society, the grown-up Young Justice characters end up facing the questions they'd been facing as teenagers. They start kind of coming full circle and seeing where they may be going in that story, and it lets them reflect on what that means. And you see the play of Sins of Youth being you know, either the youth who caused the problem or the youth who are now youthful now, but Teenage Martian Manhunter is one of my, one of my favorite icons of all of that era oh of DC. My God, that's got to be amazing. Oh, you have no idea. So, Young Justice Sins of Youth trade paperback. Link in the doodly doo to buy it from Amazon. Awesome. Or check your local library because they may well have it for you to check out. Or your local comic shop. Support local comic shops. <laughs> and if if you if you if you can purchase it from a local place, and if they don't have it on the shelf, more than likely, if it's a trade they can order it for you. So those are all uh, very, very important things to think about. So um, just a, a quick reminder that, you know, find us on social media. You know, we've got, as we said, we've got Instagram, Twitter, Facebook page, Facebook group. There's a Tumblr there is the Patreon, there's the Discord, and we also have a coffee, which I don't know if anybody even does anything with. But we have one, if you feel like throwing us a, a buck or two without doing a monthly thing. And we are slowly tacking more and more things into the Patreon stuff and there's some pretty cool ideas of some things that we're going to be working on here with that very, very soon. It's going to be going even bigger than what it has been. So, Find us, like us, rate, review, join the Discord, throw us a buck or two a month on Patreon or give a coffee, and we will be happy to hear your voice. Have a good one, and we'll see you guys in two weeks. Roll some dice. Have some fun.
contact us or the show using Twitter, Facebook, or plain old email. Our Twitter accounts are at Zendead, at Jules Podcaster, and at 2050GardMoget. And the show's Twitter account is at SeizeTheGM. You can find us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash SeizeTheGM. Or chat with us and other RPG lovers in our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash SeizeTheGM. You can email questions or comments to the show at admin at SeizeTheGM.com. And if you have a few bills you want to send us, you can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash seize the GM podcast and we thank you. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Seize the GM. Feel free to leave a comment about this episode on our webpage, www.seizethegm.com. Let the dice fall where they may and we'll see you all again next week. Seize the GM is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 4.0 International License. All copyrighted materials referenced herein are held by their respective owners. No infringement intended and no claim of ownership is implied. The music for the show is Dreaming Spirit off the album Ghost Machine by the Enigma TNG. His music is released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0, unported license.